Hey listeners, we are Frontline Church in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. You are about to listen to a sermon from a Sunday gathering at our downtown OKC location. We pray that it moves you towards the power and presence of Christ and calls you to love God, love people, and push back darkness. Please visit FrontlineChurch.com for more information. Our scripture for today is from John 17, 13 through 19. The word of God speaks to us. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. This is God's word to us. Thanks, Amy. Hey, guys, good morning. You doing okay? It's good to be with you guys today. Um, If you're new or visiting, my name is Chad Kinser. I serve as one of our pastors. And if you've got a Bible, open up to the passage that was just read from John 17. That's where we're going to be in our time. And uh, yeah, I'm really, really excited to, to share God's word with you today. So we'll jump into it. If you please pray for me, I'll pray for you, and we'll see how God would shape us. Our Father, we come to you in Jesus' name today. God, thank you for the rest that comes to the soul, even just in being able to say something like that. We come to you in Jesus' name. Thank you that because of Jesus, you hear our prayer. Thank you that because of Jesus, we don't have to wave our arms to get your attention. We don't have to somehow say the right thing to get you to notice us. You've taken notice of us in your son, Jesus. And so I pray as we open your word today that you would give us illumination. Would you help us to understand? Would you help us to see different, ourselves different, the world different, you different? Whatever you'd want to spike up to attention in our soul's affections, whatever you'd want to deepen in us, however you'd want to address us in darkness, our own darkness, Holy Spirit, we want to give you prerogative in this room. Just to say whatever you want to do, that's what's best. And Father, thank you again for hearing our prayer. Thank you for attending to us as we open your word. You're the one that helps us to make sense. This is not black ink on a white page. This is your living and active voice to us. And so we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. Amen. Over the last few weeks, if you've been with us, we've been walking through our mission as a church. And the idea for us has been to sort of kick off this year, uh, coming back to what we believe God has called us to be about, the things God has called us to do as a church. And so if you're new with us, the idea for us has been to give you a bit of an introduction, uh, who we are as a church, why we do the things that we do, why we're about the things that we're about, and to talk about the things uh, most dear to us, and and maybe an invitation for you to come run with us, to, to root down and share life and faith with us. If you've been around for a while, the hope has been to give you a bit of a refresh, 
so we can stack hands together again on the things that we've agreed to in our common discipleship and say, hey, let's get after it. Let's, let's make 2024 a year where we're putting again our yes on the table with Jesus. And so when it comes to our mission, what we've talked about the last few weeks, we're just to say this, we're not trying to be novel. Our aim as a church has not been to sort of be innovative and create something new that no one else is saying. In fact, when it comes to the mission of our church, what we want to be is timeless. We want to be timeless. We want to be about the things that followers of Jesus have been about since the resurrection. We're not claiming to do something different. We're actually coming to come into the fold of all who have come before us. And so in our church, the way we capture, we believe God has called us to from Scripture is to say it this way. We want to multiply gospel communities that love God, love people, and push back darkness. And again, over the last couple of weeks, what we've done is taken that statement piece by piece, multiplying gospel communities, loving God and loving people last week. And today we pick up the last part of that phrase. We want to push back darkness. And so some of my favorite verses to read at Christmas time come from John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. At Christmas time, all of John 1 is gold, but verses 4 and 5 always stick out to me. They're ones I always want to bring to my family and share at any chance I get. John 1, verses 4 and 5 says this, In him was life, talking about Jesus, and that life was the light of men. And then it says that his light shines into the darkness, and darkness has not, I love that language, has not overcome it. So this past Christmas Eve, I got to be down in our kids' church with the elementary students and do their teaching time on Christmas Eve. And I knew that as I was tasked with that, I wanted to read this verse. I wanted to bring this before them. And I wanted us to get into the spirit of this verse. I wanted us to have, as best we could, like an experience of the drama of this verse. And so I had the, the kids' volunteer leaders, like, turn out the lights. And as soon as they did, the kids were like, ooh, it's dark, you know. And we're like, we're in this thing. I wanted us to experience the drama of the dark. I wanted us to feel the dark for a second and then read this verse. And at the same time, I wanted us to feel the counter drama as a light would pierce through the darkness as we lit the Christ candle. And we talked, that, we talked about the fact that his light shines not just in the physical dark, but his light shines even in the darkness inside of us. The light shines in the darkness, the text says. And I love the way it goes on to say, and the darkness has not the darkness will not, the darkness cannot overcome it. And this is at the core, guys, of what we believe about Jesus. Jesus isn't scared of darkness. It's just a good, flat thing to say. He's not scared of darkness. He's not fearful. There's not an anxious tremor in him when he thinks about your darkness. The places in you that you want to keep shut down because you're nervous about what they would do to you or you're nervous about what God thinks of them, he knows of them and he doesn't have any anxiety. Darkness has no flex on Jesus. Jesus flexes on darkness. You might even go so far as to say that darkness is the reason that Jesus came into the world. Dealing with the dark is core to his mission. And so in John 17, this passage that we read a moment ago, where we're going to be today, what's, what's happening here is it's known as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. This is the prayer that Jesus prays to close his time with his disciples and his closest friends around the, the Last Supper. And so this whole conversation actually stretches back into John chapter 13. So John 13 to John 17, it's known as the farewell discourse. And there's so many things that are captured in these chapters that were central to the heart of Jesus. And then in John 17, he prays this prayer. 
And here's what always strikes me about this prayer. Like this is the thing that Jesus wanted to pray in the hearing of his disciples. This is the prayer he wanted to offer. And in their hearing, this was the last time they were going to hear him to pray. So much of what what's happening here is central to him. And I want you to notice the thing that he prays in verse 18 that's going to drive the rest of our time this morning. In verse 18, he prays this. Father, as you, as you sent me into the world to deal with the dark, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So catch this, right? Like in the same way he's praying that you, Father, sent me to be in the world, to be about your kingdom, to be about your purposes. In just that same way, I'm now sending them, he says. Now clearly, right, Jesus is the unique son of God who alone accomplishes salvation. So he's not saying I'm sending them into the world to be some sort of miniature messiahs or something like that. But apart from accomplishing salvation, he is saying, I'm sending my disciples into the world just like I was sent to be about the same things. And the disciples would have heard him say things like this before this moment. Like this wasn't something new that they heard Jesus to say. He's gonna say in John chapter 14, if you believe in me, you'll do the things I've been doing. Like to be sent on behalf of, that was a normal thing, but I'm sure this night in this particular prayer with all the circumstances around it, hearing him say it this way hit different. He's really sending us out like this. And what's fascinating to me as I started studying this this week and coming back to what Jesus is saying here the same way that he talks about being sent into the world in this prayer in John 17 is also the same way he talks about the love of God that we looked at last week in John 15. In John 15, 9, he says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. The same way the Father has loved me. If you want to know today how much God loves you, look at the love of God that he has for the Son of God. To the same way, to the same degree, like no sort of lesser version or junior varsity love for the people that come in after Jesus, but special love for Jesus. The same way the Father has loved me, that's how I love you. He's bringing us into the blazing center of the love of God, no distinction. And in the same way he brings us into the love of God, he now brings us into the mission of God. In the same way I'm sending you, love and mission go together. They, they go together. The love of God is the burden for the mission of God. And Jesus is now burdened for his disciples to bring us into the red hot center of both love and mission. That's what he's doing. He's even going to go so far in John 20, if we were to fast forward and look at it, the first time he sees the disciples and the disciples him after the resurrection you might assume that Jesus is going to say something new. You're raised from the dead. Everything that you said about you and the kingdom is true. What are you going to say now? He actually goes on in John 20 to say the same thing. He says, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And then he breathed on him and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Leslie Newbegin, a British missionary and pastor, once talked about this very thing this way. He says, there's no participation in Christ. Catch this quote. There's no participation. Like there's no such thing as being a Christian. There's no participation in Christ, he says, without participation in his mission to the world. 
Like, and this isn't just like I'm quoting a guy who said a radical thing. New Begin is coming in the stream of what Jesus has just said. I'm sending you into the world. Like, this is core to Christian discipleship. You can't, like, have discipleship and then lop off the mission of God. Fascinating. And so as I jump in today, here's what I want you to know. I have no objective to sort of give you a guilt trip sermon on things that you're not doing about things that you should be doing. That's not, I have no objective to do that. I have no objective to guilt you into doing more stuff as though your schedule is not busy enough. But my heart today, the burden of what we feel called to as a church is just to, just to see again what it means to follow Jesus. Just to see, and as I said a moment ago, like to learn together again, coming around what he's saying here, to put our yes on the table and say, we will go where you tell us to go. We will be about what you tell us to be about. Pushing back darkness and mission, I want you to hear, is at the core of basic discipleship for every follower of Jesus. Like mission is not something that's just reserved for a select few really serious Christians. Like I'm not, I'm, I'm just kind of into this like a quarter of the way. Like I'll leave like that stuff to people who are like, read their Bible and stuff, you know. Mission and pushing back darkness is not something that's just reserved for the paid staff of the church. I'll just sort of pay you guys to inspire me and draft in behind you or something. We, it's not what it's for. I'd also wanna say that mission and pushing back darkness is not primarily something that you sign up for although you might sign up for stuff. It's not primarily like something you volunteer for, although you might volunteer for some stuff. And it's also not something primarily that you go on a trip for, as though that's when we're really doing it, but you might go on some trips occasionally. Listen, to follow Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, is to have him become so central to your life that his mission becomes yours. So that whatever other mission you think you're on, whatever other thing you think your life is about or you want it to be about, to be a Christian is to say, whatever that is, if it doesn't fold into what he's doing, then it just kind of gets left off. Like he now starts to define everything else. I must be about what he is about because after all, haven't we called him Lord? And so what I want to do for the rest of our time is I want to show you from this passage, this prayer, three things that it means to be sent by Jesus. And the first is this, being sent by Jesus means being in the world, but not of the world. Look back at verses 15 to 17. He says, I don't ask that you take them out of the world. It's a big thing he says there. But I do ask that you would keep them from the evil one. For they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. And he says, Father, would you sanctify them in the truth? For your word is truth. And so throughout the history of the church, Christians have gone about trying to apply this in, in different kinds of ways. And, and some have even just left it off and bypassed it altogether. For some, there's been this attempt to apply this and thinking that we need to so not be a part of the world that what ends up happening is you eject on any participation in the world. And you know these kinds of Christians, you might even have images pop into your mind when I say this, they become known more over time for what they're against than what they're for. Their version of following God or something is more about following all the rules and making sure that the people who aren't following the rules know that they're not following the rules and we disapprove of they're not following the rules and you better follow the rules. 
and they eject on the world thinking themselves to be so godly. On the other side, there are those who have so sought to be in the world. Jesus says, I don't want you to take them out of the world. So they see that part and they go, I want to be so in the world that over time they want to be relatable for the sake of mission. And what they end up doing in an attempt to be so relatable is they set aside things that would make them distinctly Christian. At an attempt to be relatable and relevant and like, hey, I get you and you can get me even though I have this Jesus thing that might be different. And they'll set aside over time maybe beliefs that feel like it gets in the way or they'll even set aside eventually maybe the mission altogether or at least the Christian part of the mission and whatever they're about just becomes merely humanitarian. But what Jesus is talking about here is something entirely different. When Jesus talks about being in the world, but not of the world, he's talking about being seriously engaged in the world. He doesn't want you less involved in the world. Any assessment, just think about Jesus for a second. Any assessment of the life of Jesus, you would say, this man was intensely engaged in his world. He was talking with people, meeting with people, attending parties and festivals, all, he was in the world. And remember, he prayed he doesn't want us out of the world, but he's talking about really caring about the world just like he does, just like he still does, being engaged in a way without being marked, without being marked by the value systems or the ideologies of the world that are opposed to his truth. That's what he's talking about. So being in it, like being really in it, but not marked by it, not of it. And so in essence, if I can drop bottom line here, in essence, what Jesus wants for us is holiness. He wants holiness. Like he says this in verse 17, I want them to be sanctified. That is to be made holy. That is to be totally given over to your truth. He says, I want your lives to be marked by a givenness to God. So that you're in the world, but there's a texture about your life that's different. There's a texture about your life. And so here's what I find to be really ironic. Holiness. I don't know how you feel about that word or what your background suggests to you about that word or that idea. But holiness, the very thing that some want to sacrifice for the sake of being relatable, the thing that some want to diminish after saying, well, it's not really important so much what the texture of my life is like. After all, God will forgive us. What Jesus is saying is that holiness, ironically, the thing that some want to get rid of is at the heart of missional witness. Actually being something in the world. Like that, that's mission. And so to be clear, just on holiness, he's not talking about a kind of holiness that's like smug, a kind of holiness that judges other people and excludes other people, the kind of holiness that is spiritually proud and touts itself as spiritually superior, just be like me or something. That's, not, that's actually not holiness. Instead, he's talking about a kind of holiness that's so given to God. Track with this. So given to God, not as if to earn something from God and not as if to prove something to other people, but it's so given to God in every part of your life, nothing off limits. It's so given to God primarily because you see what he's given to you first. That's your motivation. That's how the gospel works. It's not I'm given to God so I can get his love. I'm given to God because I've already got his love. He's offered that. That motivates something in me. And what that does is it creates a kind of holiness in you where you can be a kind of person in the world that's gracious 
and patient to all kinds of people who are different from you and who disagree with you, that you don't have to feel like you have to win every argument, and here's why. Because you know that apart from the grace of God, there's nothing else that you could possibly say for your life and why you are the way that you are or why you're no longer the way that you once were. You're able to say, I'm in the world, yes, squarely in the world. I have an address, but I'm given to God, so I'm not of the world. I'm not marked by the world. He's what marks me. Over the last few months, I've been meeting with this uh, young guy in our church, amazing young guy in his 20s, young professional, and we've been having these conversations that he like, he's trying to come back to the faith. And I asked him if I could share a bit of our conversation. He was, he was cool with it. He, he came to me about a month ago and he said, um, there's all these things I want in the world. He's a single guy. And so he's like, I want to be married. So I feel miserable about my singleness. He says, I, I, I want like, I want to live, I want to work in a kind of way that I can have a certain standard of living. I want to be successful and I feel miserable about the current job that I have. And he just named off a few things that he wants in the world. And then he says this, he goes, and so I'm really nervous to get after God and come back to this thing because if I get after him, I'm nervous I'm gonna have to sacrifice some of the things I really want in the world. I was proud of him for his honesty. And so we just kicked that around for a minute. And then I said, hey, hey, listen, here's what's interesting about your dilemma. There's these things that you claim to want in the world that you don't have and it's making you miserable. And you don't have God. But you're nervous about going after God that you might not get these things, but you're currently sitting here and you don't have either of them. And I said, I wonder why you think that not getting these things would be God's fault. I just wonder if you would get after God and see how he would mark your life. And I bring that into the room today because even as I'm having a conversation with him, like it's like I'm reading my own heart. And I wonder how much of the same thing is true for us. You're trying to sort of halfway go after God, like kind of halfway do it because you think you should or you, you know that you should or something about the should. You're trying to halfway go after God, but then you're trying to fit that together with all these other desires that you have for things that you want in the world. And yet if you're honest, you're showing up today bored, unhappy, and discontent both in your life with God, it's not what you want it to be, and in your life in the world because it's not what you want it to be, and you're unhappy in both because you're, you're half-selling God. What Jesus is saying in this moment is it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work. You can't have two masters. He says, I want you to be in the world, but not marked by the world. And if you say yes to Jesus here, it doesn't mean that all your other desires go away, but it does mean your desires start to be submitted to Jesus and you're cultivating a greater desire to say, I want you to be enough for me, whether I have or I don't. I want you to be enough for me in the world, but not of it. And so before I move to the second thing, I just want you to hear this. There's a kind of missional power. There's a kind of pushing back darkness in the world that before we actually even start to do anything, just starts with letting Jesus push back on what's dark in us. When we just start to let him push back on the dark things in us, there's actually a missional power that starts just by saying yes to him. Sanctified in truth, he says. 
The second thing it means to be sent by Jesus is that we should expect resistance. Expect resistance. Look at verse 14. He says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. And I don't ask that you would take them out of the world, but I do ask, really important, that you would keep them from the evil one. These are really sobering words in Jesus' prayer. Because no one wants to be hated. You didn't come to church today and you're like, you know what I want? I want to be hated. They're sobering words. But wasn't it true for Jesus? Wasn't it true for Jesus? And wasn't it true, if you read through the book of Acts, wasn't it true for the early church? Josh walked us through kind of an arc of the book of Acts a few weeks ago and just showed like there's continually strife internally, externally, and yet the purposes of God go forward anyways. This was true for the early church. And listen, it's also true for most Christians around the world even today. And so I know in our context, we largely experience religious freedom. And so you might think, well, listen, if we just kind of get after Jesus in an honest way, if we start like multiplying gospel communities to love God and love people and push back darkness, like that's gotta be so attractive. The world's just gonna sort of say, like, how can I like jump in on that? The purposes of God will go forward, but the world just being so attracted to it is not a guarantee. Based on what Jesus is saying here, please hear this. If we get after pushing back darkness, we should expect darkness to push back on us. Like darkness doesn't want to be pushed on. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. He says, blessed are you when others revile you. And blessed are you, by the way. When others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So it's not just that you're just being a jerk and so talking about you. Like it's like falsely. He says, rejoice and be glad, wild language. Why? Because your reward is great in heaven for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If you're hated or rejected because of Jesus, you wouldn't be the first. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4, again, this was mentioned a couple of weeks ago as well. In verses 12 and 14, he says this, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Don't act like something weird is happening. You're saying, I'm just trying to love God. I'm just trying to love people. I'm just trying to push back darkness. Why are they rejecting me? He says, don't be surprised as though something strange were happening to you. Verse 14, he says, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, notice this language, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. He's always surprised. If you're insulted for the sake of Christ, it's because there's enough of the evidence of God's grace on your life that they've got to deal with Jesus and they may not like that. If you, far from despairing if you're insulted, it ought to be some sort of encouragement to you, I'm doing it right. And so this is why Jesus is going to go on to say, love your enemies. When they insult you, you don't have to insult back. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And so what he's driving at is that even if we're rejected, even when we might be rejected, he's saying that you can stand there and know, at least Jesus told me this would happen. Something strange isn't happening. But you can also have confidence in that moment that darkness is actually being pushed back even though it doesn't feel like it and a witness of Jesus is going forward even though it feels like rejection. How? 
because Jesus also said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. And so if all people, Christians, can be the kind of people that absorb hate but offer back peace, of all people we can do this. Why? Because Jesus says, Ephesians 6, that your battle isn't against flesh and blood. Your battle ultimately isn't against people, even if they're pushing back on you. What? Your battle is against powers and principalities over this present darkness, demonic powers. And even that, verse 15, Jesus says, I've prayed that you'd be protected from the evil one. It's win-win for us. What can they do to us? Even our graves will be emptied. And so both historically and around the world today, you've got to know this. The gospel always moves forward most powerfully in the places where they're most hostile to it. That's always true. And the gospel will move forward in our city just like it moved forward with Jesus. Not by force, not by power, not by politics, but in the vulnerability of peace and patience. That's how it's always happened. That's how it's always happened. So being sent by Jesus means being in the world, not of the world. Being sent by Jesus means we should expect resistance. Here's the third thing today. Being sent by Jesus means joy. <laughs> I love that in this prayer, we'll look at it in just a second. I love that in this prayer that he mentions joy in the same breath as giving us a heads up on resistance. As though resistance would threaten our joy or something. He says, no, 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 no. Joy. Look at verse 13. He says, but now I'm coming to you. He's talking to the Father. And he says, in these things I'm speaking in the world. And notice this. He says that they may have my joy. He wants us, he wants his disciples to have his joy fulfilled in themselves, he says. I need you to see this, guys. Jesus is serious about your joy. Like he is serious about your joy and joining Jesus on mission is not at odds with your joy or fulfillment. Like it's not the obstacle, it's not the problem. In fact, I can just investigate my own life and see this and also in the people I walk with all the time. The most joyless Christians, the most joyless Christians, the Christians who show up and they're most bored with God are those that have lopped mission off of their discipleship. It's just become all about them and sort of maximizing their you know, self-engrandizement, their, their potential, manifesting their best life. But what Jesus says here, guys, is massive in a pleasure-hungry moment like ours. To say it plain, God is not opposed to your joy. God is not opposed to your joy. Obedience to Jesus is not the problem. It's not the obstacle to your fulfillment. Instead, notice it this way, he's the fountainhead of those things. Joy is on the table because he put it there. Pleasure and fulfillment are on the table. They're actually his idea. And there's this peculiar use of joy in Hebrews chapter 2 attached to Jesus that I want us to see. Hebrews 2, it says, fixing your eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12, sorry, verse 2. Fixing your eyes on Jesus. He's the founder. He's the perfecter of our faith. And notice this. And it was for the joy. It was for the joy that was set before him that he did what? Endured the cross. 
his suffering. It was for joy that he endured his suffering. He scorned its shame, despised its shame, and came out the other side, sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. Joy belonged to Jesus as he was accomplishing the will of the Father, even in his suffering for having done the will of the Father. Joy was his. Joy wasn't taken from him, even in his darkest moment on mission, pushing back darkness. And so for Jesus, pushing back darkness is motivated by the love of the Father and joy in his presence. So that's the heart of our mission. Like We're like, if Jesus got after this, we surely must because he sent us. But this is about joy, not about begrudging obligation or something. He's serious about your joy. And this is why, this is why Christianity can't be a private thing. It's like there's some of you who would say like, well, listen, I'm a Christian, but I want to keep my religious views sort of under wraps. I don't want to make any waves, you know, or bother people. I can believe what I believe. They can be what they believe. And so sort of, if this is about joy, this can't be private. What else in your life is about joy but private? You at least tell somebody. And so we could go through many places in scripture, but I just want to testify to your own, your own story. To be a Christian, this is what it means to be a Christian, that you've had a collision with the living God, that quite literally God has collided with you and he has released you from your shadows, released you from your sins. He doesn't hold them over your head. He offers you his love. He invites you into his family. He fills you with the Holy Spirit. He gives you the promises of his son. This is, he is serious about your joy. And so being sent by him isn't begrudging obligation. Well, I guess I got to pay God back for all he's done to me or something. Being sent by Jesus is like, I get to be sent by Jesus? Like he wants to send me? What is he thinking? He wants to send me. This is joy. This is joy. Luke 24, 19 says that the Father sent Jesus mighty in word and mighty in deed. If we're to be sent the same way, how is he sent? Mighty in word, mighty in deed. Gospel proclamation, kingdom demonstration. That's how he was sent. And they go together. You can't pull the two apart. And he's sending us the same way. So you can't say, well, I'm more of like a good works person because I don't talk very well and I don't know how to say things in an easy way or something. So I'm more of a good works person. And the other people can't say, well, I'm more of like a preaching person because I got to tell people and all of the good works. They go together. They go together in the life of Jesus. Like saying something about God invites and almost demands some sort of manner of life or deed to sort of give real-time explanation to what the God, love of God is like. And then doing a good deed in his name demands an explanation for why this good deed, this isn't bait and switch. This is just being sent like Jesus was sent. And so in closing today, I want to get really practical. There's so much here for our church. We turned 19 years old this year as a church on Easter, and I don't want us to grow into complacency. We talked about this at our members meeting on Wednesday. I don't know how long God is going to give us together, but I don't want us to end the race with something left in the tank. Like, why not spend it, you know? And so last year, we could talk about this. Last year, you guys crushed it. We could talk about our ministry to Afghan refugees. 
We could talk about our partnership with sober living houses, relationships with those that hope is alive and doing the important work of recovery. We could talk about monthly and weekly moments of feeding the homeless right around us, our ongoing partnership with City Rescue Mission, the work that they're doing, our community groups lifting up their eyes and getting active, meeting the needs in their neighborhood and the city through pushback darkness grants. I could keep going. You guys crushed it this last year. There's so much happening in our church through you guys, in our city through you guys. We want more people to jump in. But the area that we need to grow as a church is just straight up opening our mouths. Just straight up evangelism. We are wealthy in good deeds. We need to open our mouths. And I don't want to make this super complicated. Like for most of us, I think we're just neglecting the most simple missional win that's available to us every week. And that's just inviting someone to church. The most simple mission, it's not like get complicated and perform, you know, like Tim Keller level jujitsu on your gospel presentation. Like just invite a non-Christian friend, someone who's walked away from the faith that your friends would just invite them to church. Like I was even thinking about that this week that like I have faith that God would do crazy things in our body if between now and Easter, we just wrote down the names of three people who are far from God or have walked away from the faith and we just committed to pray for them and we look for an opportunity just to ask them to come to church with us. You'll actually have way more organic and natural gospel conversations because if they do come to church with you, they'll hear the gospel preached. That will provoke something in them and you might talk about it at lunch. We helped you there. Or it might be that they have a response to your invitation to church and they get to talk about why they don't want to go with you and that just creates the conversation itself. It will require you to open your mouth in a much more organic and loving way. And listen, here's what's nuts about this. You're like, that's not gonna work. My confidence in any of this, our confidence in any of this is not based on our ability to push back darkness as though we're good at it. We're quite clumsy at it. Our confidence in this is based on everything that Jesus has already done. The gates of hell won't prevail against this church. Hebrews 12 again, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He despised its shame, the shame of our sin that was there. He covered it. And he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Today, it's true. Jesus is ruling. Jesus is reigning. And Jesus is ready to forgive the sins of those who look to him. He's sending you mighty indeed. And mighty in word. Jesus says, as the Father sent me, I'm now sending you. Let's pray. Our God, I, I, I do pray that you would help us just to simply hear the invitation of Jesus. I pray that you'd help us to hear what Jesus has said for those that want to follow him. <laughs> that you're inviting us into mission, you're inviting us into holiness, you're inviting us into joy. God, would you teach us again as a church just to say yes. God, and we pray for your purposes in our city. We pray your kingdom to come. 
We pray your will to be done in our city, just like it's happening in heaven. Would you give us much of the kingdom of God, this side of your return as possible? We wanna see you named in our city, Jesus. And so God, would you give us the courage to open our mouths? Would you give us the courage to pray and to look for opportunity? Lord Jesus, we offer ourselves to you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.